Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, I know something about you all this morning. And when I think about everybody who's been at our church today, worshiping all those who were in the first service and all of you who are part of this as well, and also those who um, aren't here today but are normally part of our church family at some level, I know something about you. Um, And, well, it's not real good news, okay? What I know about you is that some of you will end up in jail. Yeah, I know, that's like, oh, what? And I'm being serious. Some of you will end up in jail, and, and you know, you say, I can't imagine how I ended up here, what I, you know, that I would have ever done that, and here I am. Uh, some of you will have an affair, and it will just wreak havoc in your marriage, and throw it into chaos, and, and you may or may not be able to salvage it. Some of you will get divorced for various other reasons. Some of you will be, end up estranged from somebody in your family, you know, a, a parent, a child, a brother, a sister. Uh, some of you will do really well financially, but become very miserly and greedy. And others of you, some of, some of you will end up bankrupt uh, because of foolish choices that you made. And I could continue down this list. And I know that these things will happen. The reason I know this is because in the 16 years I've been a pastor, all of these things have happened. Some people, you know, have have just kind of slipped away and then lost their faith and they aren't walking with the Lord today. These things happen. I've seen them happen. And so I'm certain that they will. But at the same time, I'm certain of something else, absolutely certain of something else, and that's that it doesn't have to go that way. It doesn't have to go that way. There are things that we can learn and address in our lives that can keep us from ending up in those places, experiencing those things. Would you like to know how to avoid ending up in those places? Would you like to? All right, well, let's open the Word of God together today and see what we can find there. Turn to the book of Romans, chapter 1. We'll be on page 1294 in the Bible that's there under the chairs. I encourage you to follow along with your own Bible or one from the chairs there, page 1294. We begin a sermon series on Romans that will we'll continue through the sermon uh, summer. Romans is a big book, an awesome book, so many amazing things in it. Uh, so we'll be looking at that for the next few months. <clears throat> Uh, Paul had wrote this letter about 20 years after he was converted. He had traveled thousands and thousands of miles preaching the gospel. He had taught many, many Christians uh, how to live the Christian life and how all of that worked. And yet Paul had never made it to Rome. And Rome was the capital of the civilized world. 
But Christianity had made it to Rome. The gospel had made it to Rome. There were people there who were saved. There was a church there. And Paul had met some of those people in other places. And, and he found out that they had some common acquaintances. So he did have some sort of a relationship with Rome. And, and that's one of the reasons he writes this letter, because he wants to connect with them. Because his desire is to eventually be there and have a ministry to them. And in the meantime, he's writing this letter to really elaborate on the gospel and explain lots of things. So he spends the first part of this chapter, chapter 1, establishing that relationship and saying, hey, I've prayed for you and here's what I'm looking forward to and here's what I'm desiring. And then he comes to the, the point that's essential, that's the core of his message, the core of all his ministry, and really the core of all that we uh, build our Christianity upon, and that's the gospel. He says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And, and uh, that's going to be the theme going out through the rest of this book. But now Paul had another reason that he wrote. And that was this. It was a, a common occurrence uh, during this time. And it was happening in, in the Roman church. And, and um, by the way, when I say Roman church, that sounds kind of funny to me. Because of the modern language. I mean the church of Christians here in Rome. Um, the Jewish Christians in the church were really struggling with the Gentile Christians in the church. There are some historical reasons why there was tension there, but there's also the cultural reasons because the Jewish Christians felt like, well, you know, this is our religion because we were already worshiping the true God and then the Messiah came and we responded to him and, you know, we are the people of God and, and we take so serious how we live. And, and these Gentiles... <laughs> Because the Gentiles didn't have the law. They didn't follow that. They were free, man. They were, you know, not to sin, but, you know, just they lived differently. And so what was happening was that these Gentiles were increasing in number. They, more and more people getting saved, coming into the church. Uh, even some of them, you know, moving into leadership positions. And the whole feel of the, the church was kind of starting to change on them. And, and so they had this issue. The, the Jews kind of looking down their noses at the Gentile Christians. And the Gentile Christians looking at the Jews and going like, whatever. Uh, you know, and this, so this is struggling. So Paul wanted to bring them into unity as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he does is he goes to the gospel. And begins talking about the gospel. The first five chapters here in Romans, what he's really focusing on is trying to get them to see that every human being needs to be saved. Jew and Gentile. That they're both in need of salvation. That they all cannot save themselves. Jews cannot save themselves. Gentiles cannot save themselves. That God loved them so much that he sent his son in the world to be their savior for the Jew and for the Gentile. And that Everybody comes to Christ exactly the same way. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, we all come to Christ the same way. And then what does that mean in our lives? It means the same thing for the Jews. And so Paul is taking the gospel and going through here and trying to establish that we are one. We are one. We're not divided. And so what he does here in chapter 1, picking up in verse number 18, he starts in the very beginning and says, here's where the problem comes from. Here's where uh, the whole sin thing comes from, of which all of us are a part. So let's begin reading in verse 18. Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I want you to remember that phrase, they suppress the truth. 
because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God in his word has, is saying this, that he has made it clear to anybody who wants to know, anybody who wants to know that there's plenty of evidence for them to conclude that there is indeed a God, that he is a powerful God, that he is a personal God. These things, God says the evidence is there. It's evident in their own nature. It is evident in creation. What's the problem? Is the problem that, that the evidence isn't there? No, what did he say? What was that phrase? I said I want you to remember the last part of verse 18, who suppress the truth. You see, here's the reality, and this is where sin, the sin nature leads us. Here's the truth. There is a God. You're accountable to him. No, no. I don't want that. I, I don't want to hold to that. I, I do not want to be held back. I want to be able to do what I, I, you know, and so what do we do? We go our own way, don't we? And so the problem here is not that these things cannot be known. The problem is that, that by nature, People suppress that truth and push back against that truth, which is why they need to be saved, to have it changed. But let's look and see. He continues and he starts to tell us about what they were thinking, what they were doing that led to the place, and then he tells us what the consequences are in their lives. So let's continue in verse 21. He says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. But, and here's the result, became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And, and that's a reference to all of the idolatry. And we, in the United States, in our culture, we don't you know, really comprehend so much the idolatry. But let's put it in our own terms. In other words, they let something else take the place of God in their lives. Now we can relate to that. Okay, And this is the result of how they're approaching life. Uh, verse 24, therefore God also gave them up. And we're going to see this phrase like three times, gave them up, gave them over. What I want you to know is what, Christ, what God is doing is saying, okay, you're choosing you want to go that way? Okay, go that way. See where it takes you. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And, and he says again, how did they get to this place? Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature or the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then he continues with the consequences of this approach to life. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Now, I think God uh, brings this into, and Paul brings this in here, this kind of sin, because it's just so obviously unnatural. And how can you get there? Well, it has to be the result of an approach to life where you've rejected other things. So, they continue, verse 26, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And I'll read on in a minute, but understand this. Uh, 
that when it, it says God gave them up, God gave them over. Um, I really believe that this is an outworking of God's love. And I'll tell you why. Because these people are, are heading their own way. They aren't wanting to go. And God is saying, okay, go ahead. Find out where this leads you. And the result, end result is they're going to get there and say, this isn't what I thought it was. This didn't do for me what I thought it was. With the hope of getting them to see that they need to turn back to the Lord. Go back to the, where the problem started. Verse 29. He, now he describes where this ends up. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers. And by whisperers, he's talking about, you know, the bad stuff, not the fact that they talk quietly. Backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of them who practice them and the cheering on others who are joining them in this sin, this approach to life. 22 terrible sins listed there, aren't they? I mean, how would you like for someone to be able to describe you that way, that this is the way you are, right? It'd be terrible. And who wants that? But here's the deal. We have a tendency as Christians, I think, when we read a passage like this and we get to verses 29 through 31 and this, this list of these things to go, oh, wow, that's, that's stuff we ought not be involved in. In fact, I got to make sure I, I don't do that. That's, don't want those things a part of my life, okay? And we focus on not doing those things. And that's understandable because sin always hurts us. Sin always does damage. Sin always brings the smell of death and corruption. So we don't want those to be a part of our life. But here's the thing. If we're focusing on saying, I don't want these things to be a part of my life, and I, I focus on that, we will miss the point and we'll end up there anyway. And while, I mean, this isn't an exhaustive list. We might have some other sins that really mark us. But how do we avoid these things being in our life when I'm telling you don't focus on trying to keep these out of your life? Let me give you an example. Let's say you're driving down the road in your car and all of a sudden it, it just like almost stops and skids and, and you hear this terrible screeching of metal and Bing, bing, parts are coming off. You know, it's hitting under the hood of the car and on the ground around you. And, and you know, funny screeches to a stop. And you have it towed away to the, to the shop. And the mechanic goes through and works on it and looks at it and begins to take things apart and look at it. And he comes back and says, oh, this, this, this motor's toast. I mean, it's like all seized up inside and it's like melted together inside. This motor's never going to work again. Got to get a new one. And you think, ah, oh, I can't believe it. I have so thought, okay, I don't want this, meta, this engine to start screeching and, and I don't want all these parts to come off and I don't want it all to melt together. I've really focused on that not being the case. And then the mechanic gets your attention and says, well, I need to ask you a question. Well, what's that? When was the last time you changed the oil? And you go, change the oil? 
I, went, I, I was just trying to keep it from screeching and the parts from coming off and melting all together. That's what I, I've been focusing on that. I didn't have time to change the oil. And of course the mechanic will look at you kind of like, okay, <laughs> gonna get you a new engine. Well, this is what I'm trying to say. This list of sins, 29 through 31, and other sins like that, that we think, oh no, don't want those. Don't want those to be in my life. When the reality is, is there, we get to those places because we started somewhere. As we didn't just happen to be there, we started, just like the guy, you didn't change your oil, it leads to this. If you don't get the right approach to life, you get this. And so here's a truth I want you to understand, that your approach to life inevitably determines where you end up in life. How you approach life is going to take you somewhere. And this is what I talked about, like that car having to be towed. It's, you know, when you have a car towed, if they're pulling up on a flatbed, I don't know if you've ever had that done, but you know, they hook up that cable to the, your car, and it doesn't matter really exactly where your car is, they turn that winch on, and what happens? Mm, your car mm, sliding, it gets, it ends up there. And that's the way it is in our lives. Our approach to life, like, attaches a cable to us, and it winches us somewhere. That's what our approach to life does. So it's really crucial that we have a right approach to life, isn't it? Really, really crucial. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is already talking about in this passage. He's talking about the approach to life that these people adopted. And he is talking primarily about an unsaved culture. But do you understand that we as Christians are very capable of, of, capable of adopting wrong approaches to life. And it leads us to bad places, just like it does unsaved people. So let's go back to the passage here and see if we can identify them. I really think there's four of them that kind of are a, a big picture approach to life, but there's four different aspects of this. And the first thing I see is in verse 21. It says, because although they knew God, remember they suppressed the truth, remember as we said, they suppressed the truth, and the suppression of the truth pr produces this kind of approach to life. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. So that's your first one. They did not glorify God as God. And we're going to talk about what that means. And then the very next phrase, he says, nor were thankful. Well, that sounds like kind of a funny thing to put in here, but it's part of an approach to life that leads to ruin. Okay? They, they were not thankful to God. Now move on down to verse 25. He gives us some more insight to this approach to life. And he says this, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. So that's the third one here. They're exchanging the truth of God for the lie. And the lie means anything that isn't what God says is true. That's the opposite of what God says. It is part of the lie. It's all one big lie. And then finally it says, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator serve the things of this life, this world, the creation, rather than the one who created it. Worshiping the creator, the creation, more than the creator. These are the four aspects of an approach to life that will lead you to ruin, that will lead you to damage, that will lead you to destruction. Now, let me say, I wanna, uh, before we continue, I wanna play a little game with you here, okay? called the recipe game. Here's the deal. I'm going to give you a list of ingredients. 
And then I'm going to ask you to guess what it's a recipe for. How many of you like a good recipe? How do you like to eat something that's made from a good recipe? All right, so that's all of us. All right, so I'm going to give you, read the ingredients to you, and then I'll ask you what's the recipe for. When I ask you for an answer, just, you know, speak it out. You don't have to raise your hand today. Just say what you think. All right, so here's the first one. Ground beef, sliced cheese, salt and pepper, and buns. Yes, cheeseburger's the correct answer. I have hamburgers written down here. In the first service, they very, uh, you know, gladly indicated to me that I missed that one. It's cheeseburgers. That's right, good. All right, next one. A little bit of flour, some butter, salt, several kinds of shredded cheese, milk, and elbow-shaped pasta. What do we got? Macaroni and cheese, some good comfort food, right? All right, now it's one of my favorites. Chopped onions, peppers, tomatoes, lettuce, shredded cheese, ground beef, Mexican seasoning, and crunchy tortilla shells. Tacos, yes, all right? Here you go. Not glorifying God as God, not being thankful to God, exchanging the truth of God for the lie, and worshiping the creation more than the creator. Exactly. This is a recipe for disaster. A life of ruin, a life of destruction, a life of regret. And so it's really important that we look and see, evaluate in what ways am I have I adopted this approach to life? Because folks, we can. I mean, we wouldn't think Christians would ever adopt this approach to life, but yet that list, 29 through 31, I find Christians there. So they must... Christians must be able to adopt this wrong approach to life. And what we want to do then is to examine these things and, and try to see, wow, if I let this in my life in some way, am I missing this in some way? And then we also want to say, here's the way you really need to think and how you really need to approach life. All right, so the first one talks about not glorifying God as God. If the Bible is, excuse me, if God is who the Bible says he is, then wouldn't it make sense that we would take him really seriously? Yeah, we ought to take him seriously. Holy God, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, just, all those kinds of things. We, we ought to take him seriously. In fact, all through the Bible, we have a phrase that indicates we ought to take God seriously, and that talks about the fear of God or, or the fear of the Lord, that, wow, we need to really take him very, very seriously. And so if he's that important, that serious, he should be first in our lives. And so when we talk about not glorifying God as God, I think here's, here's what it looks like. It's this. It's not living like God comes first in everything and before everything. Okay? There's nothing else that should come before God. He alone should have that role in our lives. Well, so what does it look like when we are not allowing God to have first place in our lives? We aren't allowing him to have that role of God in our lives. Well, imagine that you are in a situation where life just hasn't been going well. Okay, life isn't going well. You really aren't you feel all that good. There might be some physical things going on, but really just you're feeling almost depressed. 
uh, discouraged. You can't really see how do I get out of this. And you know, lots of things have happened to you that are going on and your relationships are messed up now. You know, they aren't working and maybe at the job, it just isn't doing what you think it ought to do. And, and on and on the list goes and your life is kind of in this big mess and the people. And so you, you talk to somebody, maybe a really good mature Christian friend or maybe even go to a Christian counselor and you're talking to them. And they're trying to unravel this with you and figure out what's going on. And finally they say, you know, I, I just wonder, I can't help but think that there's, there's something from your past which has really affected you. It shaped how you think about things and how you feel about things and how you respond to things. And I think maybe we need to talk about that and get to that. Well, there is something there in your past and whether you think of it, but the idea is all of a sudden your emotions go and the wall comes up right along with the emotions and you say, nope, not going there. Not going there. I think a lot of us can relate to that. Who wants to go there, right? But here's what I want you to see. You're a Christian, you're struggling, and you're needing God's work. You know what God says about the way your life ought to be and you aren't experiencing it. And you've got a good Christian friend here helping you or a Christian counselor and, and you're working along and all of a sudden the Lord leads it to this place. And you say, nope, not going there. And your friend or the counselor says, well, listen, God's working here. It seems pretty clear that God wants to set you free from something here. He wants you to be free to live your life and not have these struggles. So this, God will work here. And you go, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. What you're really saying is what? God, you can be God everywhere else, but not here. How I am feeling, my level of distress, my comfort comes before you, God. You see how we can do that? There's other ways that, that we can do this as well when it comes to uh, not allowing God to be first. And let's think about this. What if you were convinced that God all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're getting this sense that you're supposed to give up everything you have and go serve God somewhere, some way. You know, give it all. What would you really struggle to give up the most? You know, your house, your car, your job, your extended family, your hobby. What would you say, your dog? What would you say, I don't wanna go there, see? And we need to evaluate those things. Who can you think right in your mind right now that if all of a sudden God put it in your mind to say, you know what, you need to go reconcile with this person. Who do you hope it's not? Well, see, that's a potential area, isn't it, where you might be saying, uh, something comes before you, God. In your marriage, if God is making it clear, you know what, you need to start doing this, or you need to stop doing this, you need to change doing this, and you think, not that. Uh -uh. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? All these things are potential places where we can adopt an approach to life that will lead us to ruin. And that's when we let anything come before God in our lives. We can't do this. So here's what I want you to exchange that for. And this is, the, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you four things today as we go along of how you want to approach this. And they're almost like, you can almost pray this every day. So if you're taking notes, write these down. And I'll show them to you again, again at the end. But here's what you wanna say. God, you come first today before everything else in my life, before everything else. Doesn't matter. Nothing else comes before you 
today. And you're not going to get that perfect. You're going to have to work on it. But the idea is you keep working on it. You keep coming back to it. You keep trying to make those adjustments. All right. The second one, um, that it was uh, that they weren't thankful. And like I said, that seems kind of strange. But here's the idea. When we are thankful for something, it's because we realize that somebody has done something for us that matters. And when we aren't aware that somebody's done for us, we don't say thankful, do we? We, we aren't, don't say thank you. And if we think that we did something on our own, we don't typically thank other people for that, do, they, do we? You know, hey, Jerry, thanks for putting my shoes on today. But I'm the one who did it. I'm not going to thank you for that, right? I mean, uh, and so we aren't thankful for what we don't realize has been done for us. We, we are self-sufficient instead. And the Bible says that God resists the proud. He resists the self-sufficient. He resists those who think they can take care of themselves. But he gives grace to the humble. And the humble are those who what? Know that they need. They need what only God can give. And you understand that, that you would have never been interested in getting saved if God had not worked in your life. You'd have been happy to bump right along straight into hell. You never would have understood the gospel had God not brought it to you and enabled you to understand it. You never would have responded to Christ, your life the way it is. Now, all the things that you start to understand, you are totally dependent on God for. How much are you dependent on God for? Everything that matters. And so here's this idea of not thankful, not understanding how dependent I am on God for everything that matters. And that's, when you have this approach to life, you become self-sufficient and you put yourself outside of God's working and you're going to experience all the problems that go along with that. So what you want to do is you want to exchange this approach to life with this. To every day you want this mindset. I am absolutely and completely dependent on you today for everything that matters. God, I am absolutely dependent on you. I need you to work in my life. I, I'm going to cooperate with you, but you need to work in my life. And then the third one is exchanging the truth of God for the lie. Uh, this is really, let me just say, this is when we say that I know better than God does. Thinking that I know better than God does. Because God has said, you know, what I need to know about all things that pertain to life and godliness. Uh, how I am supposed to, to live. Uh, what's going to bring blessings in my life. All of these kinds of things. He's told me in his word. And when I choose to do something different, what have I effectively said? Well, God, I know better than you do. And if I had asked you today, how many of you think you know better than God? You'd go, not me. I would never say that. And yet we live that way. Let me tell you how we do it. We are living with this approach to life when we begin to treat the Bible like what God says is optional. This is one option among many that I may choose. Okay, and you, so you take that and you look at different options. Sometimes you choose what the Bible says. Sometimes you choose to do something else. Might be in your family. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And, and then he gave up. He sacrificed his life for her. Well, I think that's probably going a little too far. I'll do part of that. What have I just said? Well, God, I know better than you do how to handle this. Wives, you know, have a submissive spirit and respect your husband. Show him genuine respect. And you go, 
That's crazy. If I do that, he'll never understand how messed up he is. So you try to find a middle ground and you kind of trade things around, do it your own way. What are you doing? You know better than God, right? And we could just keep going down that list. Our, our culture and Christians are affected by it. We do this with sexual morality. We say, well, what's okay and what's not instead of looking to what God says for that. Uh, our money, how we handle it, what we do with it first and the principles we follow. You know, we, we do our own way instead of what God's way. And this approach to life will bring you to ruin. It will bring you to problems, damage. It will do damage in your life. So we need to change this approach to life. And so here's what we want to say instead. Every day, from our hearts, this attitude, God, your word is true. Your ways are perfect. And I accept them today as my standard. And I say, the reason I say, put the today in there, because otherwise, oh yeah, I believe the word of God is standard. No, 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 today, right now, the way I'm living right now. We need to adopt this approach to life, because if we don't, we're going to end up places we don't want to be. And the last one is uh, where it talks about they worshiped and served the creature, the creation more than the creator. In other words, the things of this life, you know, the things of this world, more important to me. I'm de more devoted to these things than I am to God. And so uh, let me rephrase this, this uh, wrong approach to life this way. It's thinking that the things of this life are more important than doing what God wants. More important than doing what God wants. Once again, we say, well, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Well, are you sure about that? Because there are several ways that this can become evident to you. When you start thinking, what is most important for me to accomplish today? And if I were to ask you that question, what, what, what's the most important thing you have to accomplish today? You might say, well, I really got to get the lawn mowed, you know, before it rains. Or I got to do this, that, and the other thing. And, and that's all fine. We talk about, but, no, but let's step back. Let's go a little deeper. What is most important for you to accomplish today? And it ought to be to say, oh, well, I really need to do what God wants me to do. And what is that? And then go to work on doing it. And it's probably going to have you mow your lawn before it rains, among other things. But do you understand what I'm saying? You, it's a different thing going on in your life. It's no longer this stuff is more important. No, it's God. You're more important. You are the most important to me here. And so some ways you can measure this is think. You have a response. I've taught you, you dad, use an example. Dad, you've got a responsibility at, at home to your family, to your kids, if you have kids there. Uh, and you need to be there enough to invest and give some direction and love and security. You need to do that. And who says you need to do that? God says you need to do that. Well, I'm asking you, what, are you, what is more important to you in life than that you would set that aside to do something else? A job, a hobby. You see what I mean? You set that aside. What have you, you done? You said something in this life is more important than what God wants me to do. Hey, we're the first weekend of summer. What's more important to you? I mean, what, what would you allow to keep you away from coming to church on Sundays this summer? I mean, obviously you're out of town. It's really hard. <laughs> but if you're in town and can come, what would you allow to keep you from coming? 
it may be that this is an area where you're allowing something in this life to be more important than doing what God wants you to do. What's more important to your life that's keeping, preventing you from being part of a life group? What's going on there? These kinds of things we need to ask ourselves. What is my approach to life? Is God really first? Am I really saying that there's things in life that are more important than what God wants? That's craziness and it'll lead to ruin and destruction. So here's what you want to say instead and conclude. Nothing is more important to me today than serving you. If nothing else gets done, this is gonna get done. And what you find is usually you can get done anything you need to get done. But it needs to be about serving him. So can you see how your approach to life really matters? Your approach to life, if it's the, the wrong way, it's gonna, it's gonna winch you up to verses 29 through 31 and all the ugliness and damage of sin. But if you can catch these things, and wait, wait a minute, I don't want to think this way, I don't want to think that way, then you can end up in a different place, a better place, a place that honors God, a place that blesses you. And so let me put those four things up on the screen here one more time. This could almost be just a prayer every day, and I'm not talking about a rote, memorized prayer, but something that you pray every day with God. God, you come first today before everything else in my life. I am absolutely and completely dependent on you today for everything that matters. Your word is true. Your ways are perfect and I accept them today as my standard because nothing is more important to me today than serving you. If you adopt that approach to life, wow. How exciting would that be? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you warn us about our approach to life. And I pray that we'll take these things to heart. And any place where we haven't, we, don't, we have the wrong approach to life, Father, I pray that you reveal it to us. Show us. And I pray that our hearts would be yielded and ready to respond. We want to have an approach to life that leads us to where you want us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.